MSW Media. News was wearing Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans, Daily Beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, June 25th, 2020. Today, Elias, Iyer, Mukasey, and Zelensky testified to the House Judiciary Committee about corruption in the Department of Justice. Ahmad Arbery's killers have been charged with murder. Roger Stone files a motion to delay going to prison. We will get more SCOTUS decisions Thursday morning. Barr's Law School writes a letter rebuking him. Record coronavirus deaths in seven states. Texas, Arizona, Florida, and many more. And uh, New York and New Jersey require quarantine for travelers from those states. A judge orders documents unsealed in the Ohio State University case that Jim Jordan is named in. And early primary results. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We have a packed show, including news from Under the Radar with Jordan Coburn. Uh, I'll be speaking with former Department of Justice spokesman and MSNBC Justice and Security Analyst Matthew Miller about the House Judiciary hearing today regarding the corruption at the Department of Justice, specifically Bill Barr. And I'll be speaking with former Deputy Assistant Attorney General Harry Littman about the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals decision in the Flynn case. And uh, this Friday, well, we will be hosting our weekly live stream, live stream happy hour Q&A. That starts at 4 Pacific time for patrons and 5 p.m. Pacific time for the public. So head to patreon.com slash the Daily Beans for more information on that. Uh, we do have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So today, the House Judiciary Committee took testimony from Department of Justice Stone, Roger Stone Prosecutor Aaron Zelensky, former Deputy Attorney General uh, Don Iyer, John Elias of the Justice Department's Antitrust Division, and former Attorney General Mike Mukasey, for some reason he was there. And joining me today to discuss this hearing, which is still going on right now, by the way, is former spokesman for the Department of Justice and MSNBC Justice and Security Analyst Matthew Miller. Matt, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I I think the last time you were on our show, it was Mueller She Wrote, and we were live in Brooklyn. Yeah, that was a great show. That was fun. That was a while ago. It was over a year ago. Back when back when you could travel to the East Coast. Yeah, and I think Jen Taub was there. I got to meet her, and I think maybe Mimi showed up. Um, but that was a fun day. Yeah, a- absolutely. And speaking of Mimi, I hear she just won. Uh, oh, was it called? Uh, yeah, she won her race in, was it Westchester? Yeah, she's going to be the new DA. Yes, so that's wonderful. Congratulations, Mimi Roca. Anyway, with all that out of the way, uh, have you been watching it? What are your thoughts so far on this hearing today? I, I've been struck by a couple of moments, but I, I'm interested to to hear your top line thoughts. So two, two things. Um, one, I think the, the testimony delivered by Aaron Zelensky is really the most... I think damning evidence of uh, corruption at the department uh, since Watergate. Um, you look, you look at his testimony. It, it's hard to make a good faith case for what the Justice Department did in overruling the initial sentencing recommendation for Roger Stone. That, that's the first conclusion. And then the second conclusion, when you compare, when you combine his testimony with the testimony of John Elias, the uh, antitrust division official, it, it's that the the Corruption at the department isn't just on the big cases that we've been hearing about. It's not just about all the the, the, the leftover cases from the Mueller investigation, but that Barr's reach has really permeated different cases and different divisions and different U.S. attorney's offices uh, in ways that we 
don't yet fully grasp. And I suspect that we're going to find more and more examples uh, over time. Yeah. And I thought that this was a really good sort of division because, you know, here we have on one hand Zelensky talking about the corruption in the Department of Justice it, it being weaponized to help Trump's friends. And then with Elias, we have corruption in the Department of Justice to go after the people they don't like, whether it's because Bill Barr doesn't like pot or, you know, to go after these auto companies because Trump tweeted about it um, and to go after them a day later and open uh, unjustified investigations into those into those auto industries. And of course, we heard about uh, Mercedes-Benz not wanting to get into the fray because of that sort of politiza- politicization at the, at the Department of Justice. But uh, aside from that, I was also struck by the parliamentary tantrums that the Republicans threw over and over again. First of all, that Zelensky didn't appear in person, uh, especially when Doug Collins actually said, he said these words, uh, this isn't about the truth, this is about parliamentary procedure. And <laughs> I think that would be a good uh, maybe epitaph for him at some point. But um, I, I just, I'll, I know that we see a lot of this parliamentary nonsense on both sides, to be fair. But today was just another outstanding example. And I'm thinking back to the Lewandowski um, uh, testimony, where it's just Collins and Jordan and Gomert. It was him banging that gavel. It was just, it, it was difficult to watch. I actually think that the behavior of the Republicans has been the most depressing part of this scandal at the Justice Department. And I I include what happened at the hearing today, but really it's their reaction to everything that Barr's uh, been doing, including all the the Republican senators who just kind of looked looked the other way and had no problem with with his uh, uh, removal of the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And, And I say that because, look, there have been scandals at the Justice Department before, but uh, George Bush's second attorney general, Alberto Gonzalez, had to resign in a scandal over the politicization of the Justice Department. Uh, I would add the conduct for which he had to, to resign didn't come close to what we already know about what Barr has, do, has done at, at DOJ. And that's the difference between uh, you know, the Justice Department and, and U.S. politics 15 years ago and U.S. politics today is that the Republican Party has just gotten so kind of thoroughly corrupt that they're now willing to overlook an attorney general who has just completely departed from from the traditions of the department. And I think that's the most worrisome thing. It's not just that, that Bill Barr has done what he's done, but that he's gotten away with it. I mean, he really, after the testimony, he should be gone by the end of the week. And back during nor- more normal times, even under Republican administrations, that would have been the case. The fact that it's not now, I, I think, is deeply worrying about where we go in the future. Yeah, I, I concur. And of course, you know, the Republicans were focused on Obamagate and FISA errors for Carter Page, the Steele dossier, the same shit they keep stirring up that's been debunked time and time again. Uh, they kept pushing Zelensky about his personal family issue that kept him from appearing in person. But this hearing is really so much bigger um, than that. And, and you know, they they one thing that kind of was difficult for me to watch, was very frustrating, was the Republicans using the Flynn decision in the D.C. appellate court today to defend against the politicization when we all know that that's actually an argument for the fact that the DOJ has become politicized. And and I didn't really get any kind of uh, comfortable resolution from, from any Democrats on that particular point. 
Yeah, and I would go a step further. I think the decision today was was disturbing because it was a sign that this kind of you know complete politicization of the of the Republican Party, where they're they're willing to to not just overlook and condone but support the the politicization of the Justice Department, extends to certain Republican appointed judges on the bench. Uh, that, that that we know everyone. You can't make a, a, an honest argument that the 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 motion to dismiss the case in, against Mike Flynn was made in good faith. It is such a, you read the motion, it is the kind of motion that the Justice Department will write for one person and one person only, and that's a friend of the president's. They won't, the arguments they made for Mike Flynn, I guarantee you when defense attorneys try to bring him up on behalf of other uh, other uh, defendants around the country, the Justice Department is going to fight them tooth and nail. But you have a couple of Republican appointed judges who are willing to overlook that and w- willing to hand down the ruling that, that they did, I, I, I am sad to say, because because it was a ruling that helped uh, a Republican administration and a you know a former Republican official. Yeah, and something I wanted to ask you too, having been former DOJ, Jim Jordan didn't quite seem to understand the concept of sentencing guidelines <laughs> um, because he kept arguing, kept asking, "Hey, didn't your sentencing guidelines say three to four years?" And, you know, Zelensky was like, yes, but we had these additional, you know, points on there for, you know, harm to others and threatening the dog and all this other shit. And Jim Jordan's like, yeah, but you said three to four years. You said three to four years. And then you argued against three to four years. And what the judge do gave him three to four years. And I just I was hoping you could maybe explain a little bit about why their sentencing initial sentencing recommendation said three to four years but with these kickers and what those kickers are and how that you don't have to go into the details of how the point system works, but why it ended up being seven to nine, even though the base, I guess the baseline was three to four. And and I don't understand why Jim Jordan doesn't get that unless he's just being disingenuous. Yeah. So the the thing about the sentencing guidelines, first of all, they're extremely complicated. Uh, Second of all, they exist to, to ensure that at least similarly situated defendants around the country all get roughly similar treatment so that the, the, If the Justice Department is going to throw the book at some defendant, it's not just because they don't like him or her. It's because there is there is, you know, uh, uh, there is a a reason for that based on the the defendant's conduct. And so in this case, the the sentencing guidelines initially called for, I think, around three to four years, as Jordan rightly said. But then there are things called enhancements. If you have behaved particularly poorly, let's say if you have threatened to harm a witness, as Roger Stone have had, if you have lied to the judge, as Roger Stone had done, and there were other enhancements as well. And it was those enhancements that got it up to, to, to seven to nine years. Two more things I'll say about that. Number one, the, the ir- irony of all this, of all this. So Zelensky is making the point under Department of Justice guidelines, we're not allowed to recommend lower sentences than what the guidelines call for, the sentencing guidelines call for. You know who put that policy into place? Jeff Sessions. Uh, Attorney General Holder had put in a reform to allow prosecutors at time to exercise discretion to recommend lower sentences, and it was this administration that reversed that policy. The second point is it it can both be – two things can be true. One, it was appropriate for the Justice Department under their rules and policies to recommend the sentence of seven to nine years. And two, it's completely appropriate for the judge in the case to hand down a less harsh sentence. That doesn't mean the recommendation the Justice Department made was wrong. They made the, rep- the, the recommendation they're supposed to make under the policies, and she used her discretion, which she has as the judge, to, to, to uh, impose a, a lighter sentence. 
Yeah, I would have liked to have seen somebody else bring up other cases where the sentence, you know, the sentence was less than the recommendation uh, of, you know, maybe Mukasey, <laughs> who was sitting right there. Yeah, it happens all the time. And it doesn't mean that the Justice Department behaved inappropriately by recommending a, 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 a tougher sentence. Yeah, no. And talk about great minds think alike. My very next note, as you were speaking, was didn't this administration tell the U.S. attorneys to, in fact, always use the maximum sentencing in the guidelines, whereas in previous administrations? Yeah, they did. I I have not gone back to look at if there was a part of that memo that's written in invisible ink, as I suggest, that says, (laughs) except except for close confidants of the president. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, the question came up, which I love. And I was glad that this question came up. Tell me the other cases that Bill Barr and, you know, has intervened in Um, the drug cases, for example, or, you know, Average Joe or Main Street America, where he has intervened to to recommend a lighter sentence in in you know, it, under the auspices of, of their own sentencing guidelines. There's none. That, that is the point of all of this. You can make a good faith argument that the sentencing policies at the ju- Justice Department are too harsh and that it ought to recommend lower sentences for people than it regularly does. You can make an argument that the FBI ought to treat uh, people it's interviewing differently than it does and not be mm-hmm. as aggressive as, as it does. Or that the FISA process needs reforming. That that's right. But when you only make that those arguments in the case of, of close friends and allies of the president, as this Justice Department has done, does it, it shows what's actually going on, and it shows that you are giving one set of uh, you are giving uh, a special treatment to the president's friends and allies, and treating everybody else differently. And that is that is bottom line the worst kind of politicization that can happen in DOJ. Yeah, I agree. Well, maybe Jim Jordan's in a bad mood because of the Ohio State University unsealing uh, that's happening today. So we'll see. <laughs> Possibly, although he usually seems to be in a bad mood. So yeah, it never really makes a difference, does it? He's just always sort of like that. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we had uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Nadler, I think, had to put his foot down at one point and say, if you don't wear a mask, I'm not going to allow you to speak. So um, it's just even the politicization of science has it's just so rotten what's happening. And I, I just feel I feel so badly. Now, who do you think uh, when uh, Zelensky was saying, uh, I call on others to come forward? Do you think because he named his supervisor today for Jim Jordan? Do you think he was calling on his supervisor, who's the one who told him that in discussions with Tim Shea that, that he was you know, afraid of the president, which is why he was recommending this lighter sentence? Do you, do you think he's calling on him specifically or just generally out to DOJ folks? I, I think it was both. I think he very uh, specifically meant for the person that, that told him the reason why uh, uh, the department wanted to offer a lower recommendation Stone was because he's a friend of the president. Uh, I think he wants uh, his supervisor to come forward and testify. I think he wants other people in the U.S. Attorney's Office to come forward and testify. But then I, I think and and I hope that he also meant other people at the Justice Department who have witnessed uh, the corruption and the politicization of decision making there will come forward and testify the way that Zelensky and John Elias did. I mean, it, it, I, I can't understate the personal risk they took, not to their safety, but to their but to their careers and coming forward and doing this. Uh, we know this administration is going to try to retaliate against them because it's done it time and time again with people who have come forward. And it, it was very brave for them to do it. And I sure hope other people will do the same. Yeah. And you don't think that this has any, this kind of corruption has anything to do with the exodus at the top levels, right? With Benchkowski or Noel Francisco or any, I mean, we've lost several people. Is Or is that just a, 
rats abandoning the ship? I I think what's happening is all of those officials are seeing that the the president's likely to lose the election. Don't don't accuse me of taking things for granted. There's a long way to go, but the, right now he's he's an he's an underdog, and they would like to go land in a a decent spot in the private sector now while the you know, while they're while the 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 Trump Justice Department is still uh, in charge and they're more attractive to private clients mm. than to have to go land uh, in, say, January, February of 2021. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't put Brian Benchkowski and Noel Francisco in the same category as Zelensky or any other Vindman or any other whistleblowers who come out and tell the truth or leave for, you know, scrupulous reasons. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you uh, so much, former DOJ spokesman, MSNBC Justice and Security Analyst Matt Miller. I appreciate you joining me today. Really great talking to you. All right. We'll be right back with news from under the radar. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. And today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, I recommend checking out BetterHelp. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. What it is is professional counseling done securely online. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. Everybody can use some help during these tough times. I know I've sought help for my PTSD. I'm a huge believer in seeking help when you need it, and BetterHelp's service is available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, a lot of stuff that might not be available locally in your area. You can log into your account anytime from anywhere and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it really easy and free to change a counselor if you need to, and I love that part about it. It's more affordable also than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. You can visit their website and read their testimonials, like this one by BetterHelp user N.A., who says of their counselor, Angela is a kind, warm, and funny person. I feel that she truly cares about my development as a person who works collaboratively, collaboratively with me on my goals. Uh, in the short amount of time I've been working with Angela, she's helped me to feel more centered and able to more effectively deal with my everyday life. Uh, it would be so great to be able to help get help feeling more centered right now. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners, get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for News Under the Radar. Joining me today for this block is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. It's um, it's like today's like a, like yesterday was a seven. Today's like a four. Mm. Uh, but, you know, better than a one or a two. Yes, yes, it is. But still not a seven. <laughs> Rest in peace, seven. A lot of weird news. Yeah. yeah. Maybe seven will come back tomorrow. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. see. Hopefully. Well, after every seven, there's an eight, you know, so that's... Mm, but seven, eight, nine. Exactly. So, <laughs> seven, nine. <laughs> so you either got to have an eight or a ten. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we have uh, a lot of headlines from under the radar. So why don't why don't you kick us off, Jordan? Yeah. Um, this headline may, it's not so under the radar at this point in time during the day, but the three three men that were involved in the murder of Ahmaud Arbery have been indicted on murder charges. And this is including that third man, William Roddy Bryan Jr., who just claimed that he was uh, not, not a part of it and was just a witness to the act, but he also 
is getting charged. Prosecutor Joyette Holmes, she announced this on Wednesday, and she said a grand jury has indicted the three men, uh, the other names being Travis McMichael and Greg McMichael, that's the father and son, all white men, that chased Ahmad down in that neighborhood and murdered him. So that's um, good news. It's still justice that needs to come sooner in all of these cases, but it's definitely something to celebrate. Yeah, Roddy was the guy filming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he he just yeah. said that he saw the two men running and he just decided to get in on the chase. Cause mm. he, <laughs> so. Weird. It is weird. And it's also like, well, what was it? Were you a witness or were you getting in on a chase? I don't... Uh, mm. Seems like there were actions there that you definitely took willingly. So I hope that he also gets charged to the fullest extent of the law. Yeah, and it, I mean, it is good news, but it's also, I mean, the, the prosecutor who had this first and had all the evidence and refused to bring charges, and mm-hmm. I mean, this is four months later, mm-hmm. uh, is, I think, illustrative and indicative of, you know, where we are. Um, and so while I'm very glad that charges have finally been brought, um, again, it's just this whole case has just been handled so poorly up until this point, And now... Hopefully, um, you know, they'll be convicted uh, and, you know, we're still waiting for, um, you know, Breonna Taylor's assailants uh, to be arrested and charged with murder. That hasn't happened yet. And there's just so many other things that, you know, I mean, like you're 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 it's bittersweet. Do you know what I mean? It's it's like like delayed justice is not justice. But yeah, absolutely. Here we are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Breonna Taylor, I was just going to bring her up. I'm glad that you did. It's just it's. It's like in, entirely delayed in that scenario. They only fired one of the cops so far. That's all they've done. Yeah. Um, and of the three, all they've done mm-hmm. is fire one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unacceptable. Yep. Yes, it is. Um, some more interesting news. Um, Roger Stone has filed a motion last night, Tuesday night, to push his prison sentence, his start date to report to prison back to September 3rd citing coronavirus as a problem because i guess he thinks by september 3rd it'll be gone Um, (laughs) the department of justice has filed a brief saying they don't oppose the move because of course they don't not for trump's friends or rich white guys but basically the administration's way of saying fuck everyone else who's in jail and you know in danger of of contracting covid19 um because none of these assholes would be in gen pop anyway so it's it's just Whatever. Uh, I'm just not surprised anymore from anything coming out of the Department of Justice, especially today. So, yeah, um. loved spending my day <laughs> watching that shit show. Oh, my God. It was so hard to watch. I hate them um, so much. Oh, yeah. They're they're the, they're the personification of assholes on Facebook. Do you know what I mean? Like just the hmm. tapping. The incessant tapping <laughs> over witnesses. It was it was just like, yeah, the thing I saw going around was like, is he five years old? And that is that is truly all you can say to that. It is just a bunch of children in fucking man suits. May as well just have a bunch of those Labrador dogs dressed in poker outfits sitting there being completely <laughs> useless. It's so fucking dumb. Yeah, really. <laughs> Like f- four raccoons in a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, just just barking or hissing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. It's like, oh man, that's a great. How'd you strategize for that? Take some fucking Red Bull and that's it. 
you didn't do a, anything to prepare your it's so it's it's so and then they have the gall to have one of their people be like you know what's gone wrong with this committee is we've abandoned the rules like shut the fuck Doug. up fuck off Doug Collins he's like Beavis <laughs> he just sort of makes noise and I hate him and then or like boom how <laughs> <laughs> yes. sold. He's yes. just such a uh, uh, uh god um anyways. anyway um <laughs> what, what 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 other uh, headlines do you have for us yeah so just kind of revisiting some of the victories from last night the primary there there's a lot of like really really good change that's coming out of some of these districts jamal bowman he is set to just clinch a huge upset against his incumbent in that district Elliot angle um right now yeah so there there's still there's a lot of delays in calling the races because the absentee ballots but there's like when i at the time of this reporting um bowman already had more than 60 percent of the vote and it's just like a huge huge he's you know being looked at the new aoc basically for that district um also Mm -hmm. something that elliot angle had said that i didn't catch until today Apparently he got caught speaking at after. Um, do you <laughs> the do you, hot mic? Yes, I didn't even see that somehow. What he said: yeah. if I didn't have a primary, I wouldn't care. The hot mic he didn't know yeah. was on. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've talked to uh, you know our friend uh, Brendan from the band Weedis, who we've had on a, a recent happy hour. Lives in that district or near that district, and oh, cool. and he and I have been talking a lot about Angle versus you know V Bowman, and uh, that I learned from him a, a while back about that hot mic comment gaff. I was like, what did he do? What did he say? I'm like, oh shit. Ugh. I mean, it's like that's bad. Yeah, I was gonna say there could be worse things, but not really when you're a representative. <laughs> you're saying like <laughs> you. I can't think of anything worse really to say. It's a fundamentally antithetical to to the one word that describes your job, which is to represent people. Saying you wouldn't care if you didn't have a like, oh my god! And yeah, all that shit about him having a residence. Yeah, if there weren't a primary, I wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. Well, bye. Exactly, and that's how the people feel about it. And uh, it looks like he's gone as fuck, which is really cool. Um, but Angle hasn't faced a like real opponent in twenty years, so Mm-mm. or at least one no. that was uh, competitive. Um, but then there's another district in New York. So Rep Nina Lowy, she's she's retiring, and then who who it's looking like is going to take uh, her place is Mondaire Jones. He's thirty three years old. He is also uh, he would be the first openly gay black congressman. So that's huge uh as well nice yes totally it's it's about time that congress started looking more like america you know Mm-hmm. yes it is and then speaking of aoc she just completely blew her opponent out of the water she got 73 percent of the vote clobbered. <laughs> she clobbered them and then That's she so tweeted badass. she's like hey this is to everybody who thought i was just a fluke this reminds yes. me 
this reminds me of course it reminds me of me everything reminds me of me uh when uh when i was in a comedy contest in 2010 uh san diego's funniest comic and i at the time i was playing guitar and doing comedy and a lot of comedians looked down upon that like you're a cheater and i won and then a lot of people were like oh it's gonna have an you're gonna have an asterisk next to your name asterisk next to your name because you have a guitar and so the next year I entered the contest without the guitar and I and I won again, clobbered them. And I was like, OK, so now can I can I be a real comedian now? OK, <laughs> like and so I just love that she's like, uh, OK, th- this is twice now. So mm-hmm. suck it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, 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 really good to see. And now they're talking about her even I'm running for the Senate seat. Um in the next election so that's that's pretty crazy hmm. yeah but who knows i wonder how long how long do you think it's appropriate to be a rep before you run for senate or is it necessary to even follow that trajectory at all it depends on what you want to do i mean if you yeah. want to get into like full-on federal fucking government um in you know or have a position a cabinet position or a governorship or something usually it goes the other way um you know, or work in the White House um, at the cabinet level or VP or president, you you should need to probably be a senator, <laughs> you know, or a governor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and so yeah, but uh, that's not always required. You know, that's of course, there's not there aren't any requirements other than the ones that, you know, we know about. You have to be, you know, to be president. You have to be 35 years old. You have to be living here for the last certain amount, 15 years. You have to be born here. Um, but, uh, I mean, if she wants to, I think she's got a really bright future ahead of her. So I, I would say, yeah, I would probably, I would say maybe be a rep for six years. Um, but there's no rules, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no rules. Mm -hmm. Barack Obama was a junior Senator. He was, um, when he ran for president, everyone Mm -hmm. was like, oh, he's got no experience. And then they all elected Trump, but whatever. Yeah, that's that is kind of nice. The departure of that argument as being valid anytime, anywhere after Trump. That oh, is, they'll still use it. They'll still use of it. Of course, it will just be glaringly <laughs> obvious that it is insanely hypocritical, and that's just pleasure we'll get to take on our own and feel on our own insides <laughs> to, ev- to everyone else, to everyone else but them. It'll be glaringly obvious. Yeah. Um, what's going on in Kentucky? Uh, yeah. So, and then in Kentucky, um, there's Mitch McConnell's seat, obviously, that that is uh, up up for the taking because the Democrats are gonna win, and I'm talking about it as though it is an absolute because you gotta manifest that shit, you know. Um, the secret. But Booker Booker and McGrath. They're facing off, and then McGrath, she she just started slipping after Booker started fucking killing it and coming up in the polls, and and it, and it looks like um, it's going to go to Booker, but that also hasn't been called yet either. But that would just be another black man elected in Congress, and he's super progressive uh, compared to McGrath. McGrath has said that really problematic thing about Kavanaugh, and like, just, I'm a total Booker person. And so I think... Um, yeah. Yes, I think that we can look forward to that victory being clinched as well. Yeah, they are neck and neck. Uh, he's pulled out ahead. Most of what needs to be counted are absentee ballots mm-hmm. and mail-in ballots and early voting ballots, mm-hmm. which might have a slight uh, advantage for McGrath. But we will see. We'll see um, 
how it turns out. So uh, it's why why do you say that would have an advantage for McGrath? Because a lot of people had vote, sent their mail in ballots before any like before any people, of the like before he started out. his rise. Any of the controversy, yeah, yeah. So like, but that's it. Can't be that many. Um, uh, but you know, we'll and like I said, they might, they might not, they might not uh, break for for McGrath. Uh, but I don't even know if she can make up the difference. We'll see though. I mean. They'll call it probably by, I think, by the end of the week, maybe. Yeah. We'll know. I I have to kind of confess a sin. When I first saw her stuff coming up on my social media, promoted ads and whatnot, I was just like, hell yes, a woman running against Mitch McConnell, I'm in. And I like donated money and stuff. And I didn't do my due diligence to look into her first. And I didn't even know that Booker was a candidate until much later. So I, I that's a lesson that I learned personally. It's like we're at this, I see someone who's underrepresented in Congress and then I just jump on it. <laughs> now it's like this, it, it bit me, it bit me back basically is what I'm saying. Well, at the time, it wasn't until recently that, that none of us really knew that Booker was a, a challenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it, because all of the money and all the support and all the ads were going uh, behind, they were going behind McGrath because this is just before a lot of uh, public sentiment shifted. And yep. uh, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of things have happened. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, people who, you know, Nick Nick Cage won an Oscar, but uh, you know a lot of shit's happened since then. So, um, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm going to be happier with Booker, but happy either way. Um, so we'll just stay on it, and uh, I look forward uh, to possibly being able to donate to the Booker campaign against Mitch McConnell because I think yes. that, that could be a blowout. A blowout. Oh God, I want it so badly. <laughs> Yeah, it will really test uh, since the shift uh, in our in our sort of zeitgeist. It will really test uh, how a progressive can do in a ruby red state, um, and uh, it's going to be very very interesting to see. I'm excited. Um, any other election updates? Uh, that's just kind of the, the long and short of it. I know we're trying to keep it zippy. Beep, beep, beep. Cool, cool, zippy. Um, we learned Tuesday night that we are expecting more SCOTUS decisions this Thursday. Normally, decisions come out Monday, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, but we are going to have more SCOTUS decisions this Thursday morning. That happens at 10 a.m. Eastern Eastern time, which means I have to get up at 6.30. Yay. But <laughs> seriously, we could we could find out if uh, Trump's accounting firms and, and banks have to hand over his financial records to the Oversight, Intelligence, and Finance Committees and the Manhattan DA, Cy Vance. Keep in mind, Cy Vance is not part of the Southern District of New York. He's not federal. And keep in mind, Trump cannot stop it from happening if they rule in favor of the good guys because he's not the one handing over the records. A lot of people are like, oh, I bet he just won't hand them over. It's not him. These are third parties. It's Mazars, Deutsche Bank, and Capital One. Uh, I am putting beans on it being a 5-4 decision, and they'll rule in favor of two of the three because during oral arguments, Roberts seemed to be looking for a middle ground here, some way to limit what Congress can do. So they might actually say that the Deutsche Bank and Capital One stuff doesn't have to be handed over to the Intelligence Committee, but, uh, you know, we might find out today. So we'll keep you posted. Those, those announcements coming soon. Hell yes. 
Uh, before I jump into my last story, I do have a, a, a quick thing to add about the primary that happened yesterday. One of Trump's picks in North Carolina got got beat out <laughs> by this guy, Madison Cawthorn, and he's still a Trump supporter, so it's not like it's, you know, a, a sort of Mitt Romney-like Republican. I guess Mitt Romney's also a Trump supporter. I don't fucking know. Whatever words I need mm. to say that would denote someone from being a complete piece of shit to like a half-seas piece of shit, you know? Like a didn't eat that much that day piece of shit. He wasn't uh, Trump's pick to replace right. uh, McCarthy, who's his chief of staff. When he when he pulled him out of that seat to make him his chief of staff, it left that seat vacant. Yep. And Trump had endorsed this other guy. And uh, that guy that Trump endorsed lost because everything Trump touches dies. Yep. I remember when we first started saying that. Well, we got to bring that back. It's so true. It is, <laughs> it is truer now than it ever has been. Um, but yeah, it's okay. So my final story is just a quick COVID update. Cases are just like on the rise again. And that's sucking uh, because people are still, you know, getting very comfortable with this concept of reopening and people are going out like a lot more and you see people in these other states like Florida going out and being really dumb about it, not wearing their masks, being close to each other. Just it's a recipe for disaster and disaster is starting to strike again. So seven states are reporting records now for new highs about current coronavirus hospitalizations and those states include Arizona, Arkansas, California, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. More than 800 deaths were reported on Tuesday yesterday in the U.S., and that's the first time that deaths have increased since the 7th of this month. So that's that's scary. Uh, Texas and California passed 5,000 new cases over a 24-hour span. And even in San Diego, I know we I saw a reporting from KPBS saying that we just confirmed our highest single-day jump since this all started. So that's really, really, really bad. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And 33 states and uh, U.S. territories now have an average of new cases that is higher than last week. So we are going back up again. The curve is starting to go up, and we know for a fact that when you social distance and you stay home as much as you can, um, and, and you wear your mask, and you wash your hands, and you do all of these harm reduction strategies, and you implement them effectively into your life, it 100% contributes to flattening the curve, and we're at a point now where governors are going to start pulling back and they're going to make us go under lockdown again. That's I I, mm. I believe that that's going to start happening if these numbers continue 100%. Newsom already threatened it on Monday. Yeah, Orange County's doing bad and uh, they're threatening to withhold uh, relief funds if they don't wear their masks. <laughs> yep. Uh, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, they all came out today saying that, you know, because they've been like doing stuff together. Uh, they all their governors came out saying anybody that's traveling from these viral hotspots need to quarantine for 14 days. So as soon as you go there, uh, you know, if you're coming from like Florida, for example, or, or if you're visiting uh, from Texas, you have to quarantine for two weeks. And they've got reminder signs that are going to be posted everywhere and at hotels. And it's it's a, a whole public a health campaign now with with that aspect of tourism and really tourism shouldn't be happening right now so yeah that's got to be hard to regulate to or like enforce you mm-hmm. know definitely but 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I'm curious to see what that enforcement looks like. I think everybody is, but that's that's what they're that's the messaging that they're putting out right now. Huh. Well, we will keep an eye on that. Um, my final story here: Federal court has unsealed a complaint in the Ohio State University Dr. Richard Strauss case, revealing new information. Uh, this is a case that has to do with Jim Jordan, mm-hmm. Ohio Republican, an all-around piece of shit. Having knowledge that Dr. Strauss was sexually assaulting students and said nothing about it, the unsealed evidence shows multiple medical staff and coaches were aware of the assaults and didn't say anything to keep it from going public. Jordan is mentioned 11 times in this document. The document showed Jim Jordan witnessed voyeurism and overheard discussions about Dr. Strauss's behavior and that Jim Jordan told the students to ignore when older men were watching them shower and pretend they weren't there. And when several wrestlers expressed anger about being watched by older men while they were showering, Jim Jordan told them if they did anything to act out about it, they would find themselves in trouble with the school. Uh, When one of the students told Jim Jordan that Dr. Strauss was masturbating in the shower, he responded, yep, that sounds like Strauss. So these are just over and over again, uh, just evidence, evidentiary, you know, evidence from multiple witnesses. And 14 more uh, people uh, are... um, making allegations that weren't that we didn't know about before in these unsealed um documents so i hate him so much and everything that he's ever been a part of and anything that he's ever touched boys included he is wait that's not the right way to phrase that you know what i'm saying he's i don't hate the boys (laughs) i hate him i hate everything he's he's so out of all the people that are on that committee uh that we were watching today he is my least favorite. He is so aggressive. He is so hypocritical. He is so toxic. He is just the absolute worst. And apparently he's been mm. the absolute worst forever. I hope so badly that he faces justice regarding that case. It's so... This is the one of the reckonings I feel like we're really going through as a society is holding people... Actually holding people accountable for their actions. What a fucking concept, you know? It's mm. it's it's not ever okay for someone that ever aided and abetted that kind of crime to be walking free like he is and to not only be walking free but to continue to be in positions of power where he can <laughs> keep exercising poor judgment and criminality. It's just he's the goddamn worst. Yeah, he's terrible. And he seemed uh, he always is an asshole. Otherwise, I would blame his him being an asshole today on on this information coming out. But he's always an asshole, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's just no other way around it. Um, but uh, GW Law School has written a letter condemning Bill Barr uh, uh, as the Bar Association weighs his misconduct as well. And in a shocking yet not so shocking decision from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals today, they are ordering Judge Sullivan to dismiss the charges against Michael Flynn. And we'll be right back after this break to discuss the ramifications and where we go from here with former Deputy Assistant Attorney General and host of the Talking Feds pod, Harry Littman. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Allform. You have heard me rave about my Helix mattress, most comfortable sleep I've ever gotten. Same with Jordan. She loves hers. Mandy and Joelle love theirs. Well, now uh, Helix has launched a new company called Allform that's gone beyond the bedroom to revolutionize furniture for the rest of your home. Allform makes beautiful, comfortable sofas and chairs and love seats delivered directly to you with fast, free shipping. They make it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. 
Uh, you can pick your fabric. Um, you can pick the color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. Uh, all of their fabric is spill resistant, stain resistant, and scratch resistant, which is perfect for pod pets. Uh, I picked out an all-form three-seater sofa and customized it in whiskey leather. I never could get a whiskey leather couch because of the animals, but because of this amazing, you know, the materials that they use, I can finally do it. And I got it in whiskey leather, and it has a walnut leg finish, so it matches the rest of my mid-century house. And I got a chaise lounge, and it came in a couple of days. I put it together myself. No tools. I love it. They have armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals, so there's something for everyone. And you can start small and add on as you, you know, move and grow. Uh, usually, if you want to order a sofa, customized especially, it takes weeks or months, and you need someone to assemble it in your home, and you have to set up a meeting with your freight company that's going to call you and then give you some crazy window where you have to sit around at home. But all form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail. You can build it yourself. No tools needed, like I said. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No weird restocking fees or anything. They also have a forever warranty. Like, forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. I am joined today to discuss the Flynn case, what what happened today in the Flynn case by, let's see, former, you have so many credits, Harry, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, uh, law professor uh, specializing in Supreme Court at UCLA, uh, and uh, clerk, uh, law clerk to two Supreme Court justices. Harry Littman, how are you? Not bad. Uh, thanks. Thanks for thanks for asking. I just played tennis for the first time in a year, and man, I suck. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm fine. Well, it's a good thing that you have the amazing Talking Feds podcast. This weekend's episode was brilliant, by the way. Good job. Thanks and so much, everybody. You, do you know what's coming up on Talking Feds this week? Let me just tout it because I think your listeners would be interested. For there, the um, th- there have been four prominent women on MSNBC who are you know. Joyce Vance, Barb McQuaid, uh, Jill Wine-Banks, Maya Wiley, and they've been talking forever, on, including online. People have been saying, why don't you do a sisters-in-law? That's the, that's the sort of tab uh, with just just you. And that's so, so this week I'm out of it, and it's all the sisters-in-law uh, taking over the, the, the mic and, uh, you know, talking among themselves. Wonderful. And it's a propitious time because yesterday Mimi Rokoff, former sister-in-law, Woo. won – overwhelmingly won the um the district attorney's race in Westchester and she'll she'll make a cameo there too. Yes, excellent. And if I can ever be, just you know, let them know. I'm always available to be an honorary sister in law, although I am lacking the degree. Those ladies are my heroes. So uh, yeah, I I we're all gonna look forward to that episode. So today uh, as everyone I'm sure has heard, I've been talking a lot of people off the ledge a little bit, though I don't have a lot of faith in the system myself right now. Uh, the appellate court, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, in a two to one decision with Rao, uh, a Trump appointee, although that hasn't mattered in the past, but it seems to now, uh, writing the, the decision. Uh, or the opinion, excuse me, uh, that uh, they're ordering Judge Sullivan, they granted the mandamus writ in part uh, by ordering Sullivan to dismiss the Flynn case. So uh, a couple of questions for you, Mr. Lippman. First of all, 
What does it mean in part? What what part did they uh, did they grant of the mandamus, and what part did they not? I knew the very first question would catch me. I, so I, I have read it quickly, and I but I, and I thought they granted they certainly granted the most important part. Uh, I have if I have it right here, if you if you like. But I, I mean, her opinion was very kind of categorical and wide ranging, and even though. What was at stake was, you know, all she talked about was Rule 48. She ended with this tub thumping, characteristically, by the way. It ha- it has mattered in the past, mainly for Judge Rao. And uh, this very kind of grandiose um, kind of uh, line about separation of powers that one, you know, thinks is, uh, I don't know, characteristic either of, a, you know, a, a younger judge or maybe a judge auditioning for the the big, big time. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me uh, call call up that opinion and I'll and I'll figure out the impart while we continue to talk. Yeah, sure. I think it might have something to do with their, their you know, the, I, you know, I've only glanced at it, but it seems like they're just telling uh, um they're telling Sullivan to dismiss the case, but they aren't like saying it was for you know terrible purposes. Oh 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 oh! You mean I, they they um, refused to order him? This I guess this is what it means. They refused to order him uh, to recuse himself, mm. and that was something that had been uh, sought. Yeah. So let's see. So here we are for a writ of mandamus and direct to grant in light of that we vacate the district court's order appointing an amicus as moot. So, that you know, it has to do with uh, both Gleason, his appointment, and then the motion by, by um, Flynn, not the department, to, to make um, uh, the judge recuse himself. Yeah, 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 because I know they were trying to boot him off the case. So, no, they're just trying to make him dismiss the charges. Now, does it did not that's say... That's the whole ball of wax. It is. That's the 48. It didn't say uh, in the ruling uh, whether to that he had to dismiss it with or without prejudice, did it? It did not uh, say that, and a, and a typical thing under 48... Rule 48, it would be um, um, up to, you know, that's one thing that normally would be in the in the judge's um, discretion. Now, let's say if he does it, but the only thing it would do if he does it without prejudice is empower a future Department of Justice or this one. But, you know, obviously that couldn't happen to re bring the uh, the the charges so um, there's, you know, that that's something that now if they if they come back and move it to be uh, ex- expressly with prejudice. Well, even so, I mean, prejudice, not prejudice. That's that's what courts do. What at least Judge Rao is saying is dismissal is what um, uh, ju- judges do. Now, it's kind of funny because the, the, the um, remember, you know, just last week. Uh, talking about Gorsuch and good old plain meaning and originalism. Rule 48 makes it really clear that there's discretion in the judge. And what Rao had to um, depend on was a, uh, a court of appeals opinion that kind of twisted and tortured Rule 48 to and to declare that there's hardly any um, discretion. And that's what she pointed to again and again, of course, by all terms. 
you know, the, there's there's um, every all of the cases, including that case, make clear there is a narrow avenue to consider when there are extraordinary circumstances. And what could be a clearer uh, instance of extraordinary circumstances that, you know, than the valid uh, concerns here? And, and remember, what they are saying is you can't even look into them. And she's also really... Um, more than chiding him, suggesting it was unconstitutional, uh, and you know, which is really way out there to to even have appointed John Gleason to give advice. The, the bottom line here, AG, is this is an opinion that will not stand if it goes on bonk. Rao has been marginalized before she and Henderson have. It's by the way a bit of a surprise opinion because Rao and uh, Henderson and, and at least at oral arguments seem to be uh, along the um, on on the line. You know what's the big deal of just a, a hearing? Mm-hmm. But there are so. The, but especially the grant of mandamus. This is a this is a silly case for mandamus. There's no reason that they that Sullivan could couldn't do. Um, his uh, hearing, and then the Court of Appeals, if it wanted to, could review on the merits. So both both the reaching out to do mandamus, but then the the underlying um, holding, which essentially says there's basically no time that you can ever do uh, uh, decline what the government's saying, even even if they offer reasons that in law and fact don't stack up. That will not stand if. Uh, they they accept rehearing on bonk and and rehearing on bonk. It's actually it's 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 weird posture all the way. Sullivan, the judge in the district court, is the one who will move for rehearing uh, on bonk. Although, uh, al- although it's my understanding that any panel judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals can request sue sponte. Is that what it is? Sue sponte means just on their own can request a vote. They can't. They can't make a rehearing on bonk happen, but they can request a vote. There will certainly be a vote for rehearing on bonk here, and it'll be based on a majority of the eleven uh, judges. And there, I I'm trying to think of reasons that judges who believe it's wrong, and that would be conservatively seven or eight of them, would nevertheless say, you know, let's let's let it go. It's just not important enough, and it's so sort of unusual posture of a, of a case to to care about the broader legal uh, principle. My best guess is they will grant rehearing on bond because it's A, wrong, and B, while the legal principle <laughs> isn't huge, you know, everyone knows what's going on, and it's, and it's all about uh, abetting Trump and Barr's, um, you know, politicization of the Flynn case, which is part and parcel of a bigger politicization of the Department of Justice. So, you know, I can see some judges saying uh, voting against. That's the typical thing that happens. But um, my best guess is they'll take it. And if they do take it, you know, I will uh, I'll lay you big odds and uh, take a I don't know what, you know, a trip to the lair. I don't know what you oh, merch. You must have right. <laughs> Daily Beans is so big. You must have all we'll trade swag or something. There's, but I will uh, if if they take it uh, and they don't reverse, I'll wear Daily Beans shirt for a week and you wear talking feds, whatever. Anyway, no, you're on my side. You don't want to take <laughs> yeah, that bit. But I would if do that they anyway. take it. If they take it, they'll reverse. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm assuming, of course, Rao is just auditioning for the Supreme Court. Uh, it's, such a, it's such a callow opinion. There's all this stuff that goes on and on about Rule 48, with you know, and and what what Falker says, fine, fine, and then all of a sudden, it just says at the end. It would violate, you know, the Constitution. What would? What would violate separation yeah. of powers just to have a hearing? There's no violate separation of powers to appoint an amicus, which the Supreme Court does all the time. You know, it's just she's just separation of powers slap happy, which she sees as a you know a nice a nice as uh, who was who was played that separation of power slap happy role before her Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. They, that's 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 the way to you know. To, to that's that's the Scalia move. Yeah, the, and there's uh, there was no it was there was no logical um, means to an end in in that argument, at least that I read. And and I was going to ask you. You said, and you are an honorary lawyer. You really are. You've you're 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 just all over this stuff. Well, thank you. But uh, question for you, because you were talking about the case she sort of twisted herself on a pretzel to make use of. You're talking about the Fokker case, right? Yeah. Yes. I twi- No, what I'm saying is she made use of it a lot. And even it does a narrow avenue. But it itself, I'm just making this interesting contrast with Gorsuch and supposed plain meaning. The text of Rule 48 says, you know, with you got to get leave of the court. It's it's quite clear it gives discretion. The Fokker case in the D.C. Circuit that she relies on again and again took that principle and really read it unnaturally, expanded it, the uh, made it much much harder to do Rule 48, and it really is inconsistent with the text of, of, of rule 48. But now it's, you know, she, she relies on the, on the case. Yeah. It's like, it's not a tech, it's not textualist really, but, um, you know, be that as it may. No, it's like when Trump learns a new word, he just says it over and over. (laughs) Um, so you think, um, Sullivan is going to move, uh, to, to hear this on bonk, which requires a majority or six votes. Or uh, what I think is it's going to be another judge on the panel that requests the vote. Six are still required. And I personally, I, yeah, I personally think. Um, who, who are you betting? Well, I was having a discussion with um, uh, Andrew Torres of the Opening Arguments podcast. He says Griffiths, and I tend to agree with that. Uh, but you know what? Uh, it, it's either going to be uh, Judge Sullivan or Griffiths. Somebody is, I think, I don't think... I what I don't think is going to happen here is I don't think Sullivan's going to go okay case dismissed womp womp I think <laughs> I think there'll be some sort of a uh, an appeal. No, I mean on. they really and uh, treated him shabbily. In particular, I mean they 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 her opinion picks up on this Fox News line that is just a you know a is just in the gutter that somehow he's done something terrible by appointing an amicus to take the side that the Department of Justice refuses to take. So it's not simply that they're saying you know you uh, get in the law wrong. I mean they're they're really taking him to task. So he should appeal. And now Wilkins, who was in dissent, the very, there was a big, uh, he and Patty Millette and Nina Pillard were all in this part of the big deal where the, the Democrats actually short-sightedly got rid of the filibuster uh, at that level. Uh, you know, and, and so they're sort of all, you know, colleagues. There's, 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 uh, there will certainly be uh, strong sentiment to bring it. So it's just a question of timing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 you know, let's be clear: it's strong sentiment for the rule of law, not not anything political. Um, but <laughs> but strong sentiment, you know, it is discretionary. There's a lot of reasons why this is you're supposed. This is true of mandamus too, and Rao just ignored it. But uh, there's a lot of reasons that you know rehearing on bonk is supposed to be extraordinary, and and you generally. Uh. Yeah, mandamus is supposed to be extraordinary. So fuck that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like mandamus on. is even more extraordinary. I mean, mandamus that that this is an indefensible aspect of and the then, and then opinion, they, but it's part and parcel. Like they, there's no reason, no reason they couldn't have uh, waited and vindicated whatever they wanted to vindicate on the other side if they course. didn't like what Sullivan does. And and you know, I mean, there, it's 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 extraordinary that the Department of Justice would ask for a dismissal of charges from someone who pleaded guilty in two, to two different judges uh, for lying to the FBI, which is a big damn deal to the courts. So and, and extraordinary, be- they did. The Department of Justice didn't say we rely on our discretion too bad for you. They gave reasons yeah. of fact, reasons of law, and they were, you know, as Gleason's brief showed, they they just didn't hold up to scrutiny. So I don't see. I, I judge it's one thing to say you have to you have to acquiesce to their discretion, but you're a judge. They they give you bad law, bad facts. You you just can't you can't accept them. That's your job if you find they're wrong. So it, you know it it really is sort of uh, over the top that he shouldn't even think about it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens, whether it's Sullivan or Griffiths or somebody else on the panel that asks for Suspante or on bonk or some other Latin phrase. We will find out. I'm I'm assuming probably today or tomorrow, definitely by the end of this oh, yeah. week. No, the, no, the vote will take a while, though. I mean, no, it has to circulate re- through all the chambers. But yes, we'll find out very soon that somebody is moving for rehearing on bonk. That's what I meant. And Thank you very much. Uh, let's see if I get all your titles right. But what, let's just say that you're the intrepid host got the talking feds. of yeah, the Talking that's... Feds podcast. Thank you, Harry Lippman, <laughs> for joining so me today. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, AG. Bye-bye. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back after this quick break with the Good News Block and Jordan Coburn. So stay with us. Hey, friends. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry.com. It has been more than 75 years since many courageous soldiers, maybe even a relative of yours, left home to fight for the highest possible purpose. Explore Ancestry's new collection of untold stories from World War II, then find and honor the veterans in your family who served. You may be familiar with the major events in the battles of World War II, but there are so many more stories to uncover. Discover the diverse perspectives of those who were there and learn about the untold stories of the men and women who faced World War II with dignity and courage. The skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen, for example, and all African-American squad of fighter pilots. The incredible women who trained to become pilots and mechanics. Or the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units despite the massive discrimination against Japanese-Americans at the time. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II with over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting-aged men in the United States during that time whether they ended up serving or not. So there's a great chance you could find your relatives in this collection, and it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. Uncover your ancestors' personal details in our World War II U.S. Draft Card Collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and more. Find and honor the veterans in your family who rose to the occasion when the world needed them the most, and get a new take on their World War II experience. Discover your untold stories and more. Head to our URL at Ancestry.com dailybeans to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll on good news is on the way. Yeah. 
And joining me for the good news today is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hello, I've got good news. I have good news, too. We have a lot of good news. Actually, yeah. do you mind if I start off uh, with a little schadenfreude? Ooh, please. Schadenfreude. All right, the headline from the Fresno Bee, Devin Nunes can't sue Twitter over statements by fake cow, judge rules. Uh, a, a judge <laughs> a judge has ruled that Devin Nunes has no right to sue Twitter over statements made by a fake internet cow, someone parodying his mother, and a Republican strategist. Uh, judge John Marshall <laughs> said in a decision Friday that Twitter was, quote, immune from the defamation claims of Nunes. Uh, due to federal law that says social media companies are not liable for what people post on their platforms. Nunes, quote, seeks to have the court treat Twitter as the publisher or speaker of the content provided by others based on its allowing or not allowing certain content to be on its platform. Marshall wrote, the court refuses to do so. Um, Nunes sued Twitter, along with the two accounts known as Devin Nunes's cow and Devin Nunes's mom, and uh, he did that in March of 2019. He alleged the the latter three had defamed him online, ruining his reputation and causing him to win uh, his 2018 election by a narrower margin than normal. He accused Twitter of being negligent for a lot. Can you imagine the damage done to me was I didn't win as much? Um, <laughs> that's such a white guy thing. I was just going to say that. That is the most white man shit. <laughs> uh, Twitter's lawyers in their motion to dismiss the suit argued that Twitter was immune from the lawsuit due to federal law known as Section 230 that says social media companies like Twitter are not liable for what third parties post on their platform. The only exception is if Twitter personally helped develop or create the internet cow. Or Devin Nunes' mom. Uh, Devin Nunes' lawyer argued that Twitter's actions in allegedly favoring more liberal content over con uh, uh, conservative content and allegedly promoting tweets that made fun of Nunes. Uh, and Judge Marshall disagreed, uh, saying previous court cases had already settled Section 230 applies even if the company does show bias in what content it allows people to post. So womp womp, Devin Nunes. Now, the... the He's not dismissing the suit. The, he, the, Nunes is still suing the cow and the mom, right? And Liz Mayer, Republican strategist. But he can't. But they basically they're taking Twitter off the lawsuit. So mm, that's just fun. God, what an utter disappointment for Nunes. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's all I got. All right. I can't think Let's of any other look. anatomy. <laughs> Uh, no more cow puns. No more cow. Nope. Nope. No more cow tit puns. They'll come. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what do we have for good news? <laughs> yes. Okay. You, you go first. You go All right. first. Okay, sweet. Uh, our first piece of good news comes from Lisa. Lisa says, this is a shout out to the best thing that happened to me during the quarantine. Having a good friend steer me to your podcast. My husband and I listen Aww. to you every day. Yay. Welcome, Lisa. Welcome. Welcome to the cult. I live in Cobb County, Georgia, <laughs> the county where John Ossoff is from. Hell yeah. Uh, it's also the county with the city of Kennesaw that has a law that everyone must own a gun and the city of Marietta where the president of the NRA lives. Boo. Needless to say, lots of good old boys and Trump lovers and many of us just keep quiet about our political views, but the times, they are a-changing. As Trump, uh, insert Trump pussy grabber cheeto head is digging his own grave and becoming harder and harder for the people around me to defend him it gives me great pleasure to see them squirm i cannot wait for this state to go fucking blue in november keep bringing the news and especially the swearing and the rants it's my therapy Woohoo! yeah fuck yeah all right welcome lisa we will thank you for that 
<laughs> yeah, fuck them and thank you. <laughs> um, fuck you and thank you. From, <laughs> fuck them and thank you yes, very much. Fuck em, yes. From uh, let's see, here we go. From anonymous uh, pronouns he him. I am currently uh, an out of work stagehand who has been doubling as Mr. Mom, helping out my youngest son seven, who's seven, with classwork amongst other things. Normally, I'm very active in my union as a trustee and a local political coordinator. So when my best friend said that her nurses' union was striking due to bad contract negotiations and lack of personal protective equipment, I decided to show my oldest son, who is 14, some democracy in action, and decided to help out. I made a sign. And my special ed teacher wife promptly fixed it for me. And we marched <laughs> with his honorary aunt. It made her day and her coworkers were ecstatic to have other unions coming out to show support. I was able to use this opportunity to explain picket lines, why they happen, how they work, and what to do when you come across one, etc. It was a great opportunity for father-son time. And on top of it, my friend's union, uh, my friend's union political coordinator mistook my son for my younger brother. Hell yeah! <laughs> Which was a first for me and made my 38-year-old self feel great. Keep up the great work, <laughs> ladies. I've been listening since the early MSW days, and you guys keep me sane during these quarantine days. Hope to be able to come become a patron once I get back to work, but I think live theater is one of the first out last back professions yeah sorry about that feel that mm. p.s my youngest laughs uncontrollably at your hot notes transition <laughs> that's awesome oh that's awesome well thank you thank you anonymous he him and that's a so that what a great lesson to be like this picket line this is what it means these are scabs blah 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 i think that's mm-hmm. so awesome and uh um, me too and uh hot notes Excellent. Love that. Hot notes. Uh, Next up from (laughs) Ashley, she, her. About a month ago, I was laid off of my, uh, I was laid off from my medical coding job due to COVID. I always thought the medical field would be safe, but I didn't factor in that a pandemic would actually reduce hospital revenue as elective procedures are canceled. I worked Mm. for a hospital in another state, and when I moved in January, they hired me through a staffing partner as a contractor, and contractors are usually the first to be let go. My husband is deployed, and we have two young kids, so I felt kind of stuck. But I got a call today that I'm being hired back starting next week. The kids now know know how much I've loved my job and are throwing a party for me, including... Yeah, that's so sweet. Including making cupcakes, which I'll have to help them make for my own party because mom life, right? (laughs) Congratulations. Yeah, we all have to sometimes make our own cupcakes or at least Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But um, I'm so glad you're going back to work. Be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right, next from Anonymous. Um, Okay, this one looks good. I like the opening line already. It says, you know those inflatable pool float alligators? (laughs) The green ones big enough to lay on, the ones with the handles? Some protesters in Sweden have adopted a crocodile, a hashtag crocodile, as their anti-fascist, anti-Nazi emblem of choice. That's spelled K-R-O-K-O-D-I-L. I'm assuming that's Swedish for crocodile. Uh, I am told it started when a protester who had been using the float as a shield threw it at a police officer. The cops deflated the alligator and the Swedish protesters decided en masse that the gator pool floats were their protest tool of the summer. (laughs) Now now you can find protest photos with phalanx formations of gator floaties being used to press back police lines. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
As online pool float sales ate through the local available summer stock, alternative marine animals appeared at protests. Sea turtles, sharks, dolphins, aquatic life is apparently vehemently anti-fascist. All this kicked off the gator-based, anti-Nazi, anti-fascist street art, posters, stickers, t-shirts, memes, you name it. One of the coolest by artist at, uh, let's see... Handle Vapen, which is H-A-N-D-E-L-V-A-P-E-N, on Twitter, whose original art reads, anti-fascism are, I'm not going to pronounce that, but it's Swedish for anti-fascism is self-defense. They made their art free uh, and without a slogan for non-commercial use. Oh, that's so great. I I, I, want to learn how to say that. If their symbol's a crocodile, they're going to have to look out for infiltrating alligators. Mm. Uh, well, so uh, she's. It, I think it's a gator, but it says crocodile. Um, yeah, I was just going off of the hashtag. What is the what is the ruling on the crocodile versus alligator thing? Oh, there's many many differences. I feel like I've heard they're the same, but then I've also heard they're different, and I don't know which is which. They are different then. They are different. They mm-hmm. are different. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. they better mm-hmm. pick then because things could get dicey. <laughs> Well, apparently they have all sorts of, because the, the, the crocodiles were sold out, they've got many other aquatic uh, <laughs> pool floaties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Anonymous says, so yeah, high five, an alligator socially distant style and wash our f- wish our friends in Sweden good luck. Um, that's awesome. And then they sent some links to show some photos. We'll put those in our newsletter. Love that. Um, that reminds me on Warp Tour every city there would be inevitably the one person that would like have some crowd surfing inflatable toy that they snuck in and then like at some point inevitably during the day we would just look out in the crowd and be like god damn it who brought fucking shamu and someone some kid is just like riding the crowd on this inflatable whale (laughs) i have to go we'd have to like pierce the whale which is uh very (laughs) very funny you, um <laughs> you had to do what the police did with the yeah <laughs> yeah it, basically because crowd surfing gets very dangerous very quickly so part of our job was to try to like mitigate it as as quickly as possible because kids have like seriously seriously hurt themselves and like yeah it gets really bad so anyways it's just whatever the, the man yeah i know i know it was my job's like favorite or my boss's favorite job to like just go and murder the marine the animals shamu. yeah <laughs> Anyways, so, so what? You pierce the toast. Yeah. <laughs> ben Schmier. Wait, that's a um, reference. My what, reference that I don't get yep. radars going off. <laughs> but you got it, but you, you got that it was a reference. I did. That's a start. That matters. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the birdcage. It's yes. the birdcage. Uh, our, uh, our final piece of good news comes from Anne, pronoun she, her. My sister and I live in deep red eastern Colorado in the small town of Burlington. Woof. A lot different than the Vermont Burlington. Very liberal. Mm-hmm. There are literally about 25 registered Democrats for the entire county. Holy <laughs> shit. That is crazy. I've been surprised by a few things here since I moved here in the late 1990s, but today surprised me. I live one block off of Main Street, but tonight, about at about 6.30 p.m., came a police-escorted cadre of teens carrying signs and chanting Black Lives Matter. I have never been more proud of my adopted town than tonight. I literally had tears in my eyes. For the first time in a long time, I feel like there may be some hope for this country. I may have to get myself a Biden yard sign and see what happens. Oh, that must have been such a nice sight, Anne. Oh, girl, be careful. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. 
Speaking of again, I had a I had a Bush has to go sticker in two thousand and four on on my Honda. It was a Honda Element, and I got vandal. My car got vandalized all the time. Um, pissed on. Somebody put sugar in the gas tank. It cost me so much money that that uh, I hate Bush sticker. Mm-hmm. But guess what? He's gone, huh? <laughs> so it worked. Worth well. it. <laughs> After two terms. <laughs> Only because it was the second term. And, and he's the kind of guy who'll leave office when he loses an election. Right. right? The kind of guy. Oh, God. <laughs> There's others now. Be that so. guy. Be that guy that leaves when it is mandated that you do so. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for all that good news. Uh, that was a fun one. That was good. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Totally. Thank you. I love it. Keep sending them in, please. Yep, you know where to do it. Uh, head to it. Just Google us, and you can head to our website and do it there, or you can do it at our pin tweet at Daily Beans Pod. Follow us too. Once we hit twenty thousand, we will, as soon as we can travel, come out and see you. And we'll even have like a little, like a little Zoom, a Zoomy Zoom meeting before then, just for funs. Um, and uh, we'll see you all tomorrow on our meet and greet, which starts at four p.m. Pacific for patrons and five p.m. for the public. I can't decide if we're doing a summer theme or if we're doing Animal Crossing, so just be prepared for both. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there right. is an Animal Crossing drink that I would like to make. Ooh. Um, so maybe we'll send that recipe out. That's exciting. It's called Vacation Juice. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Any uh, final, final thoughts? <laughs> nope. I was ready for it, and I know the answer is no. <laughs> You're like, oh nope. wait actually a confident nope <laughs> yeah i changed my mind we released a new episode of i disagree today uh, my side podcast so if you want to listen there you go look it up i disagree oh on itunes Sweet. or anywhere you listen to your podcast or on twitter at the i disagree pod thank you very much mm-hmm. the yes. i disagree pod yes important that the the is in there it is uh all right well, um, it, yeah. <laughs> Long story. Stupid Twitter. We're not gonna yes. Twitter, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, all's well. Uh, and everyone, uh, again, we'll t- we'll see you tomorrow. And uh, gosh, fingers crossed for those SCOTUS rulings. Until then, uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>